We are in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And last week, we talked about, as it talks about the scriptures, we talked about the scriptures and how important it is to be in them. And I gave you a little outline on how to read the scriptures meditatively. And, and, uh, um, and to do that every day of your life. To start 15 minutes in the morning doing that every day in your life. And I'm going to review that in two minutes. What you do is you open up to the Gospel of John and you say, Lord, speak to me through this passage. Speak to me, Lord. And then you read the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You stop. You read it again, you read it again, and then break it up into parts. In the beginning. Lord, what do you mean, in the beginning? Before there was time? In the beginning was the Word. Was the Word? Lord, what does that mean? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you get, go to the next verse. He was in the beginning with God. Again, it underscores that he was in the beginning with God. And then nothing has come into being that has come into being apart from him. Everything that's been made is because of him. And now you see in verse 2 in some versions, but certainly in verse 3, it personalizes this word, goes from this abstract word to he, calls it, calls word he personalizes he. So all of a sudden we see that word is a person. And then you you read for 15 minutes like this, slowly, pensively, deliberately saying, Lord, speak to me through this. Get as however far you get in your 15 minutes and then pick up the next day. If you want to read longer than 15 minutes, that's up to you. But I want you to start there every day of your life. And we're going to see why we do this. You pick up, and then you read through, and then you read however far you get. And then after you're done with John, you move into the book of Acts and start reading the scriptures every day of your life this way. Your life will be different. Let's start reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 10. And to this salvation the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so, we, we covered several of these verses last time. We talked about how these, these prophets, as they were prophesying, it wasn't like something was just dropped upon them. They were striving to hear from God. They wanted to hear from God. What is the timing? Who is this person? And we, we looked at Daniel, how he was with fasting and prayer and supplication. With ashes, he would be seeking God to find these things out. Why should it be any different with us? What makes us think that we could just open up the Word of God and for two minutes, oh, I, I'm good, I got it. It doesn't happen that way. If we want to learn, if we want to grow in the things of God, it's painstaking, it is work. Like with any other subject that you want to learn, it is work. It takes work to learn these things. 
This is what they were doing. They were pouring over the Word of God. They were seeking, it says in verse 10, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. They were carefully searching and inquiring. Verse 11, seeking to know. They were seeking. God, what is going on here? Who is this person? What is the timing? Seeking to know. What person or time, the Spirit of Christ within them. So it was Jesus that was working in their life the whole time. Jesus was the one working. We shall forever be seeking, we shall forever be thankful to Jesus for everything He has done. Jesus has done this. Jesus set this thing up. He was the one working in the prophets' lives long before He was ever born here on earth. Because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This very Word that was God Himself from the beginning became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus is the best in every way. It is because of Jesus that we can approach God. We could never approach God without Jesus. It's because of Him that we can talk to the God of the universe. Always has been. It's always because of Jesus. Forever we will be thankful to Him. It says in verse verse 12, It was revealed to them. It was revealed to them. It wasn't that they just got this. God then began to reveal it to them. Through their seeking, through their searching, God revealed it to them. This is why when we go to the Word of God, we say, Lord, speak to me through this Word. You think you can just get this by reading a commentary? I'll read the commentary rather than the Word of God. That's crazy. That's nonsense. Go back to the Word of God. I'm not going to point you to any book except the Word of God. This is what the Scriptures itself tells us about in Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 11. It talks about this sort of thing. You, You know, we like to be learned people. You want to read about this philosopher and this person's view and that person's view. Do away with that if you haven't first read the Word of God and spent time that day in the Word of God. It says in verse 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the words of wise men are like goads. Goads are prodding things that prod cattle along. The words of wise men are like goads. They prod us. If the word of God does not prod you, you've got a problem. The word of God should push us into directions. And if, if teaching, if instruction in the word of God bothers, if it bothers you that people are prodding you with the word of God, then you have a real problem. How are you going to be instructed? You think that you will just automatically receive things? No. We are disinclined to do that which is good. We need prodding. It says the words of wise men are like goads, like prodding. And masters of these collections. These collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless. And excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. You can read all sorts of things, but if you're not in the Word of God, you're missing out. It is this Word, it is this treasure, it is the treasure of the Word of God. This is what He has for us. It says in verse verse 12 of of 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, It was revealed to them. God revealed it to them. God is the one who reveals what's in these pages. You don't get it out of a commentary. It's God who reveals it, who seals it to your heart. Lord, speak to me through these passages. This book, long after I am dead, long after you are dead and gone, just gone, this book will remain. You have problems with this book? Fine. You'll be dead. This book will remain. This book is here and it will remain. 
This book is forever. This is God's words. It's as if he has actually penned this with his own hand. These are God's words. These will remain. These don't change. Cultures change. People's attitudes change. This book remains the same. So it says in, in, uh, in, it says in verse 12, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. But you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things in which angels longed to look. Uh, uh, so angels are outside the work of redemption. They are outside the work of redemption. There is no redemption for the one-third of angels that have fallen in Satan's fall. One-third of them fell with him. There's no redemption for them. There's redemption for us. And it says that, that, that and, and for us, it wasn't one third who have fallen, it's all of us. Everyone has fallen. Romans chapter 3, we've studied that. Everyone, all of humanity has fallen. And God has reached in and pulled some out of this fallenness. There is no, not one, not even a single one, over and over, he says it again and again, not one of them is righteous, no, not one, not one seeks after God. If you think, well, that person's pretty good, they are not, in God's eyes, they are not. Everybody is stuck in sin. And God reaches in and He pulls them out. Angels are outside the work of redemption. So they love to look at this thing. They look at this thing, it says, uh, 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 it says, things in which angels long to look. There are things in which they long to look. There are things that angels long to look in. And, and, and there's this view that they're looking in it from an angle. They're looking at this, they're like, wow, this is amazing. And this is why there is rejoicing in heaven. There is much rejoicing in heaven among the angels. There's, I'm sorry, among the angels, there is rejoicing in heaven. When one sinner comes to the Lord, what is this great cloud of witnesses we have around us? They long to look in these things. But this word is what makes you strong. This word does it for you. Fear, fear the man. Fear the woman of one book, of one book, this book. If you have this book down, you will never lack wisdom in any situation. This word is like no other book. I've read many books in my life. It is, there's nothing like the Bible. Yes, there is instruction. Do this, don't do that. There is that sort of instruction. But there's huge amount of instruction that comes through lessons, through allegories, through teaching, through stories. And these things build us up. And you don't get it. You don't understand this unless God reveals it to you. And you don't get it unless you've poured over it. You've poured over it. It's not that obvious. When you pour over it, it becomes a part of your life. You have all these object lessons that you can call upon. Any situation comes at me. I have in my mind, in my mind, I have all these Bible lessons that I've gone through that have taught me, that instructed me, that I can call upon. I want, I want you to see the example when we look at a person's life in the Bible, how it then applies to our own life. I'll show you one thing that I am dealing with today in my own life, how a portion in the Bible that I have read long ago and studied and pondered over, how that is now coming to the fore in my life and strengthening me. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14, and we're going to start reading from verse 6. But what's being set up here in Joshua chapter 14, and we're going to spend some time in this. Joshua chapter 14, what's being set up here? 
is that the Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness because of their rebellion against God. They sent 12 spies into the land. They spent, sent the heads, one from each tribe, they sent them into the, la- land, into the land to spy it out. Shortly after, a few months after they came out of Egypt, these 12 spies go into the land. I think somebody must have hit that switch. Uh, Cody, the, Cody, the switch is in the closet there. Um, so, so, um, so he sent 12 spies into the land. And these 12 spies, as they go into the land, there are 10 spies that come back and bring a bad report. There are only two of the spies bring back a favorable report, and that's Joshua and Caleb. They said, yeah, the people in the land are big. There actually were no Nephilim there. That, those were the other 10 guys that were lying about that. The Nephilim were killed in the flood long before that. There were Aniakim, big guys, but there were no Nephilim. And, and uh, uh, the Nephilim were this, 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 this dual breed of race. But uh, uh, so they, they come back and they say, yeah, there are big folks in the land and their cities are fortified, but they will become our prey. We will take them. There were two people, Joshua and Caleb. And then Moses said, only Joshua and Caleb will get, go into this land of promise. Everyone else is going to die in the wilderness over a period of 40 years. So everyone who was over the age of 20 died during that 40-year period. Everyone, except Joshua and Caleb. They were both 40 years old when they were sent into the land. And now they are 85 because they spent 40 years in the wilderness. So they went into the land now at the age of 80. And now they've been fighting in the land for five years to acquire it. And now, last of all, the leadership is getting their portion of land. Isn't it interesting? In the scripture, leadership is last in receipt. Leadership is last in receipt. They're getting their land last. And Caleb, he appeals to Joshua, who's divvying up the land. He says, you remember? You remember what Moses said, that I'll get that land. Caleb said, I want that mountain Hebron. I want that mountain Hebron because there was a promise made through Moses that you're going to, what land you want, what land you put your foot on is yours. Caleb goes, now he's 85 years old and he's appealing to Joshua. They've been in the land for five years and he makes his appeal. So look in, in, in Joshua chapter 14, verse 1. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua and Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. He's saying, remember, we were just 40 years old together. We were in mid-career and uh, we were sent into the land. It was just you and me. That's it. These guys must have been real tight buddies. They stood against the masses, the crowds, all the people that had come against Israel, they stood against everyone. And, and, uh, uh, and it says in verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me and made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord with my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Moses had made a promise. You followed the Lord your God fully. When you get to that land, you name it. Whatever part you want, that's yours, he told Caleb. He told Joshua. And, and uh, 
Caleb's going to Joshua, he's saying, you're dividing up the land. We've been fighting for the rest of the other people for five years. I want my land now. Verse 10. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war, for going out and for coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Eniakim, that's giants, Eniakim were there. This is a family of giants. Great, uh, with great and fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day, because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest among the Eniakim. The land had rest, then the land had rest from war. So what should this, what should this account of what Caleb is dealing with. Why should that affect Jim, Jim Tour? Who am I? We're, we're like 3,000 years after this. Why should this be affecting Jim Tour? Because from this passage, I get strength. Because from this passage, well, what's coming up in my life? Well, I'm 62 years old. All these people say to me, when are you going to retire? I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, my research is doing better than it ever has. I have more research money than I've ever had. It's just like, like every federal agency is just dumping money on me right now. And uh, it hasn't always been like this in my career. And, and uh, we are discovering one thing after another. In the last seven years, we've started 12 companies in the last seven years from our research. I mean, it's just blossoming. And I feel like when I read this, when I, I feel, he, he says, he says, uh, he says, verse 10, Now behold, the Lord has let me live, just as he spoke these 45 years, from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses. It was about 45 years ago that I really started studying chemistry, pouring myself into chemistry in studying this. It says, he says, it, it's these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85 years old today. I am as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war, for going out, and for coming in. I mean, this guy, imagine, imagine this 85-year-old marching up that mountain, and remember, this is when the, the, the lifespans were beginning to really tail off. In fact, everyone, every, I mean, he had seen masses of people die in the wilderness. So the oldest people among them are him and Joshua. He's 85 years old. I think Joshua is going to live to be like 110. So not that much different than a long lifespan today. He's 85 years old. And he says, I want that mountain. I want Hebron. I've been to Hebron. Hebron is where, where Abraham is buried, where Isaac is buried, where Jacob is buried with their wives, right there in Hebron, where they're buried. And, and uh, um, uh, you can go to their graves today. 
And, and uh, uh, so you go to Hebron. It's a mountain, like a Jerusalem is a mountain. It's 17 miles south of Jerusalem, 28 kilometers south of Jerusalem, is this, this, this Hebron, this mountain Hebron. And it was a fortified city. He said, I want that one. And that's where giants live. I mean, these were huge men. These were big men. I mean, they'd see them and they said, you know, we, we felt... When we looked at them, like we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And, you know, because Jewish people, they, they, have, they have big brains, but they have small bodies generally. And, and so, so, like, one day, we, Shereen and I had this real estate broker when we first moved to Houston. And, and, you know, you really get to know your real estate broker because we had four kids in the car and we're driving around looking at houses and... So she said, I've told my husband all about you. He's got to meet you. And, and uh, anyway, so she sold us a house and everything. And then months later, maybe even a year later, I met her husband. It was at this, this big uh, black tie event. And she sees me there. She says, oh, Jim, I want you to meet my husband. You've got to meet my husband. And, and uh, uh, so I'm standing there. And so she brings her husband over to me. And her husband is this big Texas guy, I mean, probably like six foot five, and plus he's wearing, you know, big cowboy boots with his, with his black tie, and so he's, you know, probably like six foot seven in his cowboy boots, and he walks up to me, he does this. He turns to his wife, he says, is that it? <laughs> and I felt like a grasshopper in his sight. And, and, and uh, um, that's it. And he said, this is it. That's all there is. She must have just built me up so much to him. This is how they felt in front of these guys. He says, I want that mountain with those big guys. That's the one I want. That's the one that I want. I am as strong now for war as I have ever been. When I was 40 years old, peak career, I marched into this land. That mountain has always been on my mind. 45 years later, I'm taking that mountain. You know what happens to me when I meditate on this portion? I feel like invincible. The Lord takes me from where the enemy would want me to feel defeated and He lifts me up. This is what the Word of God does for me. This is what the Word of God will do for you. If you take these passages, you make them your daily meditation, things will come in your life. And boom! It's this instance, this instance. You'll think of Caleb. All of a sudden, that relates to me. God is speaking to me through this passage. This is what He does. He takes these passages and He speaks to us through these passages. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 25, this is blessings. Moses is blessing each tribe. And there's this beautiful blessing that he prays over, over Asher. Beautiful blessing. And again, this speaks to me particularly at this phase in my life. And I'm reading it out of the King James because so much of my private reading is still in the King James Version. I don't teach out of the King James because nobody understands what, what it's saying. But the King, there's a verse that's very hard to translate because if you look in the different translations, it's all a little bit different. They're all trying hard to, to, to translate this. And as you can imagine, I mean, if you study languages, you know sometimes it's hard to, to translate things, especially when you're dealing with a very old text like this. And it says in, in, in Deuteronomy 33 verse 25, Thy shoes shall be iron and brass, and as thy days, so shall thy strength be. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. What does that mean? 
To me, it means a lot because I've poured over this verse. This verse is mine. You pour over a verse, it becomes yours. You make this word of God your meditation. That verse strengthens me. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. For however long God wants me to serve, He's going to give me strength. He will give me strength. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. You will have strength. When I see my colleagues, my friends, all around me retiring and go settling in at this place and that place and kicking back at this ranch and that ranch, to me, that sounds terrible. Why would I want to sit on the beach somewhere? I hate the sun pouring in on me. Why would I want to go sit in a ranch with flies all over the place because of the horses? Why do I want that? I want to be around people and lead people to Jesus. I don't want to spend 20 years just sitting around complaining about stuff. I want to be there and doing things for people. Telling people about Jesus. That to me is richness. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. You will have strength all the days of your life. You see what he's done. He's taken these verses and he's made them mine. Fear the man, fear the woman of one book. If you make this book your daily meditation, you read this from beginning to end. You, you start in John, you read through to the end of the New Testament. Then start in Matthew, go through the end of the New Testament again. That second time. Doing that slow, pensive meditation. Then you start in Genesis chapter 1. And this is what I've been doing for over 40 years. For over 40 years. I start in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. This is a book. And I read it from beginning to end. And when I get through Revelation chapter 22, I start again. Slowly, meditatively, pensively savoring every verse, every text of Scripture, so much so that I love, I love even the genealogies, because to me, when I read the genealogies, it's not a bunch of nonsense. I remember that name. That person was connected here. Oh, that's the grandfather of this person. He was so faithful, and look what he did with his son and with his grandson. It just begins to get connected for you. When you study organic chemistry, I love it. I mean, I, I, I can open an organic chemistry book and I just, I love the names of the compounds. It's like they're my friends. I, you, you get to know what molecules do. The uninitiated picks up an organic text. They're like, what is this? This is, this is, this is crazy. Xylene, two propyl, what does that mean? But when you get to know it, it's like, ah, yeah. I know every part of you on this molecule. I know which is the reactive part, which is the unreactive part. I know every piece of you. It's a beautiful name. I just look at the shampoo bottle in the shower just to read the organic names, just to see what's with me. And, and uh, uh, to me, this is beautiful. When you spend time with something, it becomes rich. When you spend time in this book, the richness of it, this is what I'm talking about. The beauty of this text. Beyond this, my son. The study of many books is wearying to the body. It's tiresome. Beyond this. Because this is given by one shepherd. And this has goads. This has pokers that will poke you along in life. 
which is absolutely what we need. If you say, wow, that's offensive. I don't like that. Well, good. Go somewhere else. There are lots of books that will stroke you that this is the new you. Think of how wonderful you are. Lots of books like that. You can get lots of books that will tell you how wonderful you are and it will never change you. The beauty of the books that poke us. We need this because we are sinners. Sinners. And our lives need to change in conformity to Jesus Christ. I praise God that this book is like goads poking me along, calling me to do that which is better. This is what the Word of God has for us. If you do not know the Lord, I urge you this day, I urge you this day, you cannot understand this book without the Holy Spirit. It will be an academic book for you. It will mean nothing for you. There's no depth of meaning. Because it's the Holy Spirit that reveals this. Even as it tells us right here, that it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but but you, in these things which now have been announced to you th- through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, that can reveal this book to you. If you do not know the Lord, I urge you to know the Lord this day. If you have wandered from the Lord, all of this becomes opaque to you until you fall from on your knees and repent. Yeah, fall on your knees and repent and say, Lord, forgive me for doubting you. Forgive me for doubting this book. Whoever, whoever takes this book and thinks that, oh, this portion is true, this portion is not true, you've lost all moral high ground to ever have advancement in the body of Christ. Your spirit of evangelism is just gone. You've lost everything. When you take this book, every word in this book is true. God protects this book. How do I know? Because it says it. God protects this book. God's words define the universe. As a scientist, I chase the universe trying to to, to explain it. God's word defines it. He says, let there be light. Poof! There's light. He defines the universe. This book defines it. Every word in this book is true. I saw it happen to Nabil. Nabil went off. Nabil Qureshi. Many of you knew him. He, he, he said that, that I was mentoring him. I wasn't really mentoring. I don't know how to mentor people. I said, you just come and have dinner with me. If you really want it, you come have it. And I would just ask him things. And he had gone off to Oxford to get his PhD. While getting his PhD, doubts came in that, oh, some of these writings of Moses weren't really of Moses. And it, I said, what are you talking about? I said, look, look, look in, in, in John chapter 5. It says, Jesus said, if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me. Because he wrote about me. And the very same Old Testament that was in the first century is exactly the Old Testament that we have today. The same thing, because we have in, in, in the, uh, uh, we, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, which predate Jesus. Certainly their Old Testament was the same as our Old Testament. Jesus substantiated that very Old Testament that we have. It's the same thing. Jesus said, this is the words of Moses. You doubt this, you doubt me. Nabil said, I've never seen this before. There, in my kitchen, he fell on his knees. He repented of doubting this very word. Because he had said to me, he wasn't getting much out of the word of God. It wasn't speaking to him very much. And right away, I said, do you really believe this? Tell me about this. And then when it was revealed to him, he didn't really believe this. 
And this is what was hindering him. He repented. I have on my cell phone, I can even show you, I still have his text messages to me. From that first night, after he repented, he texted me these one text after another. He said, it's like when I first got saved. God is speaking to me again from the Word of God because he fell on his knees and he repented for doubting the Word of God. If you have doubted this word, I urge you to repent. Say, Lord, I am sorry for doubting this word. Your word is true. Every word in it, I take it by faith. I take it by faith. And then see the word of God open to you and begin to explain to you the things about God so that any situation comes your way. You have a passage. You have a text. You have an allegory. You have a story that has been revealed that takes you and lifts you up and strengthens you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the word of God. Blessed be Jesus, because it was the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus Christ who is working in the prophets who have penned these very words. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for this word. Let it be the treasure in our lives as we have learned this day to take your word and to meditate upon it. Lord, let us take hold of that. Let each one of these young people take hold so they would have a richness of text for themselves for every situation in life, a richness of text to strengthen them, to encourage them, to lift them up. Lord, I pray that they would be lifted up through your word, that your word itself would instruct them. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be his name forever and ever. And Lord, for those here who do not know you, Father, I pray that this very day they would come to know you, that they would come to know Jesus and be saved. And I lift this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.